The British, the British dream. Below our expectations. We're about to be an all country. We're about to be a country. Wonderful to be here. The British dream podcast. Join us. Powerful people as we launch our despicable acts like these and the sickening and barbaric politics. What I hate about this Shut up in your face. is that it's so violent. When the next phase of this disaster comes, they will come for you. Hello and welcome to The British Dream, a Conservative Party conference cross-examination. My name is Simon Childs, Home Affairs Editor at Vice.com. It's the joy and precious memories that a week's holiday with the family brings. Try to calm down. It's the look on a daughter's face when her mum says she can have the bike she wants for her birthday. And behave like an adult. The name of this podcast, The British Dream, actually comes from a slogan that Conservatives use from time to time. A play on the American dream that seems so stupid that it must be a joke. This year, the Conservative Party conference slogan was the less easily risible one-word slogan, Opportunity. For some, it was an opportunity to see Jacob Rees-Mogg in the flesh on a platform with Tim Martin, founder of Weatherspoons, talking about why Theresa May is screwing up Brexit. For Boris Johnson, it was another opportunity to stroke his gigantic ego. And for May, it was an opportunity to try and put the nightmare of last year's conference behind her. <coughs> why we will never... Tory Party Conference 2018 was, in a way, more fun than the Labour Conference. By that, I guess I mean that they kind of went for it. It was full of drama and people trying to tear each other's hair out. Theresa May didn't exactly lead her MPs onto the conference floor, more like drag them with half of them trying to stab her in the back. Boris Johnson made his usual play for number 10. It was actually a surprisingly muted, uncharismatic speech. But it was all about the build-up and keeping the Theresa versus Boris story dominating the news agenda. And as we've been looking at on Vice.com, there were plenty of xenophobic evils happening in the Fringe conference. That might be one for another podcast. I was there again. More soggy sandwiches, airport-style security, and trying to remember the names of obscure backbench MPs. This is our second speeching episode in as many weeks. We're going to have a decent look at Theresa May's leadership speech. Because frankly, with all the dancing and stuff, no one seems to have really interrogated what was said. It's not big and it's not clever. It's speeching. So the general vibe of the conference was that of a corporate trade fair, with different companies sponsoring events to discuss the future of politics. As we hurtled towards climate doom, the Taxpayers Alliance held a meeting about why we should frack more, in conjunction with a trade body for wannabe frackers. As robots take over our jobs, Atos, an outsourcing corporation perfectly capable of impersonal bureaucracy without needing computers, held a meeting about AI in government, changing the public perception of Terminator-style robots. Even the lanyards around our necks were sponsored by a house builder that has gotten rich off Help to Buy, the much-derided housing market inflating policy. Other than that, we're in Brexit land, with members flocking to see the bad boys and girls of a hard Brexit. Jacob Rees-Mogg, Daniel Hanan, Priti Patel, all telling us how they would sort everything out simply by telling Brussels who rules the waves. They certainly didn't seem that focused on the important stuff. The health service, education, housing. It was more about leadership debates, not getting a deal when we leave the EU, and, well, leadership. In comparison to the Labour Party bash beforehand, the Conservative conference felt like a much more farcical affair. The leader's speech is meant to kind of set the tone of the conference and the rest of the year. All the best speeches start with a 70s tune from a Swedish pop band. The weird dancing at the beginning of the speech, I hate to say it, kind of worked, at least on the level of optics. Unfortunately, she's in on the joke now. She sort of owned her goofy dance she did in South Africa. 
What I mean when I say it worked is that by creating a meme for the internet to fall over, it meant that no one really paid attention to the actual detail of what was said. Or look at every newspaper's front page the day afterwards, all of which contained some kind of reference to the dance, and none of which contained, for instance, the fact that she'd barely mentioned the Windrush scandal. We're going to look at a few things. Theresa May's obsession with Labour, the so-called end to austerity. But first, did you hear her say anything about Windrush? But if you spent time in care, you can be in the Cabinet. That if your grandparents came to our shores as part of the Windrush generation, you could be the next Mayor of London. But if you are pregnant with your first child and engaged to your girlfriend, you could be the next First Minister of Scotland. That was the only mention of Windrush in the whole speech. She needs to talk about this stuff. It's British citizens being deported to countries they haven't even lived in for decades and it was caused by her hostile environment policy as Home Secretary. It's been all over the news this year, her Home Secretary Amber Rudd had to resign over it, and her only mention of it was in order to hype Sean Bailey, the Tories' London mayoral candidate, whose parents were from the Rindrush generation, to basically show the Conservative Party as this progressive party. If your grandparents came to our shores as part of the Windrush generation, you could be the next Mayor of London, or they could be sent back to Jamaica by a completely indifferent, inhumane Home Office. Compare this to, for example, the way Jeremy Corbyn dealt with the anti-Semitism scandal head-on in his speech. You might not agree with how he's been dealing with it, but at least he talked about it openly. This wasn't the only example of her disingenuously casting the Conservatives as a benign influence in areas where they're actually pretty poisonous. For instance, having spent years retoxifying the Tory party, she tries to suggest that they're the only ones willing to talk like adults. So let's rise above the abuse. Let's make a positive case for our values that will cut through the bitterness and bile that is poisoning our politics. So that's coming from the former Home Secretary who introduced vans onto our streets threatening migrants to go home or face arrest. There was plenty more of that too. And when you have nothing to give but a rose-tinted view of your own record, why not then offer a fantastical perspective on the country's future prospects? One of the key themes of the speech was a sort of jingoistic narrative about how Brexit will be a huge success because... Well, Britain totally rules, so why wouldn't it? We can trade with Shanghai over morning coffee and San Francisco at tea time. Our courts are incorruptible. Our universities world-leading. Our soft power unrivaled. A driving force in the Commonwealth, a permanent member of the UN Security Council. And soon we will retake our own seat at the World Trade Organisation. Britain will be a champion... Britain will be a champion for free trade across the globe and I want to thank our fantastic trade envoys for leading that work but our greatest strength of all 
is the talent and diversity of our people. So there's this sort of weird optimistic fatalism in place of a plan. Britain will succeed because we're the best. And there is no plan, really. Theresa May didn't mention Chequers by name in her speech because it's so unpopular in her party. I actually overheard these two photojournalists before her speech talking about how if maybe like two or three members of the audience booed, then that would be a massive story. But she did double down and defend our plan, which is the Chequers plan, despite the fact that it's pretty dead as far as the EU is concerned. It reminded me of a Jacob Rees-Mogg speech at the conference in which he said, fundamentally, Brexit will be a success because Brexit is a conservative thing to be doing. Like, seriously, that doesn't make any sense. One of the more interesting things about Theresa May's rhetoric was her obsession with Labour. She's scared, she's jealous, she's kind of weirdly infatuated with Jeremy Corbyn's appeal and young audience, which maybe explains the dancing. And let's say it loud and clear. Conservatives will always stand up for a politics that unites us rather than divides us. That used to be Labour's position too. But when I look at its leadership today, I worry it's no longer the case. We all remember what the Labour Party used to be. We passionately disagreed with many of their policies. Every Labour government left unemployment higher than they found it. Every Labour government ran out of other people's money to spend. Every Labour government left the economy in a mess. The word Labour was mentioned 21 times in the speech. Opportunity, the main conference slogan, was mentioned just eight times in comparison. That's kind of weird. It's maybe a bit American, kind of attack ad kind of a vibe. The Tories are very worried about the Labour Party. Throughout the conference, nearly every stump speech was maybe a third about the coming red terror and the need to defeat it. It underscores two things. First, the Conservatives' genuine terror at what they see as a hard-left government and that they really think the Labour Party could win an election. And secondly, their lack of anything to offer as an alternative. Which brings us nicely onto our next theme. Apparently austerity is over, except it's probably not. Debt as a share of the economy will continue to go down. Support for public services will go up. Because a decade after the financial crash, people need to know that the austerity it led to is over and that their hard work has paid off. So this was the big headline. Never mind that George Osborne said the same thing in 2015. Austerity is over. The actual commitment was punted to a spending review next year, so we'll get the detail then. But austerity is supposedly ending as cuts that have already been made are really beginning to hurt people more than they already were. We're seeing the imminent rollout of universal credit which will cost millions of families £200 a month. And several local councils are talking about delivering only the absolute minimum of services after years of cutbacks. So Theresa May will be going around saying austerity is over, while families feel some of its harshest effects. But why should cold, harsh reality get in the way of a good headline? May's speech was vapid, jingoistic optimism for a country in dire need of something more concrete. The party has very few actual solutions to the social problems this country faces. And in place of answers, it has scaremongering about the Labour Party. Everything feels so disingenuous right now. It's global Britain rubbing up against protectionist little England. 
It's a party beholden to big developers, promising to end the housing crisis. It's a party that's given us years of harsh austerity, pretending to care about burning injustices. It's a Prime Minister claiming to get the problems the country faces, while offering almost nothing as a solution. No amount of dancing covers that up in the long term, even if it did manage to grab a few front pages. Let us know what you think of today's episode. I'm on Twitter, at SimonCharles13. And if you're into the British dream, do subscribe to the feed and check us a star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods from. The British Dream is produced by Sam Bonham. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're moving on from the party speeches. I think we're going to call it season three. Stay positive. Keep the dream alive. <laughs>